make money online. I want to talk with you about freebie offerings as consultants yeah, sure. because we've we've both been working on them and playing around with it. And I think Wall Drug is a fascinating mini case study we could start with to sort of talk about the minimum effective dose of a freebie offering, what you need to do to get somebody in the door and what it looks like from there on. Minimum effective dose. Someone's planning for Burning Man. <laughs> somebody has been rereading uh, uh tim ferris books right but uh, yeah no that's there's so, something valid there right so um you don't i saw a website recently that just said give me your email address and it's like 25 calls to action about getting the person's email address and it's like you scroll down this way in the page will you have my email address or give me your email address now and then like a modal popover occurs will you give me your email address it's this point here's a photo of me i've heard that photos provide social proof and convert better will you give me your email address and all of this stuff and it's funny but it's also a little bit on the nose, right? Like demand, it's not enough to just ask for the person's email address. <laughs> um, that doesn't actually work in practice. You need to recognize that people are always wondering what's in it for them, right? So um, I'm going to take this into the real world and outside of the computer's online business for a moment and say, um, let's say you're throwing a party. Um, okay, well, you're throwing the party in part because you like to throw the party. Um, but you're also throwing the party in part because people like to go to the party, right? Like, you're not going to have people at the party unless you give them a good time at the party. Now, the best parties that I've been to consider the motivations and intentions of the people that are actually going to be attending it. So it's not like you're throwing a meeting and providing actionable business insights at the party, although you might if you're that deep in your job. Uh, but you have to recognize, okay, well, um, this person likes meeting this type of person. Okay, well, you just say, all right, well, I'm going to be inviting a bunch of other bootstrappers or I'm going to be inviting a bunch of other designers and it's going to be a designer party and now designers can talk about designy stuff or just people doing dope shit in Logan Square and you're getting the top performers from Logan Square around a campfire sometime and you recognize that and say, okay, that's the purpose behind it. So you have to, there is, I cannot find a single point in my life where um, something wouldn't benefit from incentivization, right? Like giving somebody a good reason to do something, um, even when they might be likely to provide acts of generosity. Your email address is not an act of generosity, right? People are highly suspicious of providing one on the internet at this point because everybody does email marketing. So you have to step it up a little bit and provide uh, something free for them that continues to provide value to them. So um, I'll turn this back around to you now that we've kind of set the table about it and like, what are the contours of that? What does that look like for you? So what I've seen more and more as I've played in this space is it needs to be something that rewards the subscriber's time and attention. It needs to be something that does not imply work on their part, but does imply a solution or a solution or fix to a small problem they're experiencing. And it needs to be resonant with your positioning. If you're positioning yourself as the A-B testing guy for SaaS companies, your freebie offering shouldn't be download by top 10 recipes. People will show up. They will come through the door of your website. They will say, A-B testing for SaaS companies. I am on board. And then they will be like, sure, recipes. What? No, I'm confused. So you want to make sure that 
it's in line. If you're talking about EB testing for SaaS companies, your freebie offering should be download like my self audit to figure out if you need AB testing or my top 10 best AB tests and what you could learn from them. Small provides a tiny bit of value in exchange for the email address. The trap I often find myself falling into and see clients and colleagues fall into is we naturally assume that we need to provide as much value as possible in that freebie offering and it ends up becoming ginormous. And the larger the freebie offering is, even if it's still free, the more work it implies on the part of the person downloading it. And that scares people off. I have a friend who actually has a really successful freebie offering on his site where he's advertising a 137-page ebook. But I look at that and think, well, for the average person who shows up here and enters their email address, they're going to get the ebook. They're going to say, I got 137 pages of stuff. This is awesome. And they're going to promptly forget about it because reading a 137-page book is work where downloading like a two-page checklist or a two-page cheat sheet is the opposite of work. It is small. It is quick. It is tips and tricks. It gets that person over the threshold. And then later on, you can hand them the 137-page ebook once you've built up trust. But up until that point, you're still nurturing that relationship. The most successful freebie offering I ever launched on my site has been this content promotion checklist, which was literally, and this circles back to our episode about reusing our work, I wrote a post about content promotion. In it, there were a few bulleted lists of like, these are the things you should do with the different steps. I copy and pasted them into a document, ran it through Remark, got a five-page PDF back, and I advertised it on the front page of my site. Download your content promotion checklist here. Everything you need to know to promote your next post once you uh, hit publish. And it's gotten me something like 600 email subscribers over the last year, which, you know, might be on the amazing side or the low side, but still... It, was, it took me an hour's worth of work to grab the existing content, put it in front of viewers' eyeballs, and I already knew that, well, this is one of my most popular posts. People are coming to me to learn, like, how do I promote my stuff? How do I do outreach around my stuff? If I have a quick checklist that talks about it, that's going to get people across the table. And I've actually, I haven't A-B tested it, but I've tested at different times two different versions. One was the content promotion manual, which was a hundred page thing. The other was the checklist, which was just the three or four page thing. And the checklist significantly beat the large book. And the conclusion I draw from it is because somebody shows up and they're like, I could read a three page thing. I could get a few tips and tricks from that. I'm going to do that right now. And then they're on the list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... What I'm hearing out of this is you might be putting together a freebie and it might not convert well. Try again. Number two, um, don't do something that sounds proprietary. Make it extremely clear what it is the person is going to be getting. So designers do this all the time where they like, they like trademark their process and they're like, download the draft process. And, this, and, and it's like, what the hell am I getting? What is this? What are you doing? Um, and number three is don't make out on the first date. You have to provide something that is small and compact and and valuable enough, and they should be able to take it, read it in, oh, let's say, 10 minutes tops, and take action on whatever it is you provide. So it's not just a thinky thing. It's not just a manifesto. Um, you and I are both white dudes, and we're very good at writing manifestos. Don't write a manifesto in this situation. Um, so you need to write something that's like, like a checklist, a to-do list, um, maybe a designers love heuristic evaluations. Provide your list of heuristics. 
Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. The top te- top ten tools you use, uh, uh, top ten resources you like, a quick walkthrough of a process to solve a thing. It needs to help them solve a problem. And sometimes, like, here's the list of tools I use that could solve a problem for somebody who's like, I don't know what tools I should use for this. They're like, okay, great. Now I know, like, I have an expert's opinion on tools to use. And I think w- one thing I'd add to your list is. Uh, it needs to be consistent with your positioning. It needs to make sense for the target market. It needs to align with the expensive problem you're solving across your site and your offerings. And it needs to, I always use the word resonant here and I'm not sure why, but it needs to just be in tune with your overall positioning. There can't be any dissonance between the freebie offering you're making available and then the future offerings you have down the line. It might be you have a freebie offering like, hey, here are the heuristics I use when I'm uh, putting together A-B tests. Okay, well, that should lead into, here's a couple articles I wrote about it, into here's a small paid offering I have, into here's a paid call, into here's a larger offering. But along the line, somebody who signed up for that freebie offering, they know what train they're on. They're not going to be like, why the hell am I in North Dakota? They're, they know they're on the Nick DeSabato Express heading to AB test town. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, the big takeaway is also don't do anything in your business ever that does not fit the positioning, right? Like then you're not doing something that's part of your business. You're doing personal work and it's okay to do personal work. I run a meetup called design football. It has nothing to do with draft or AB testing. I promote it on my website, on my personal website. You cannot see it anywhere on draft. But, you know, don't don't let yourself get distracted by the shiny and absolutely don't do that with something that is the thing that gets customers in the door, right? Like, my God, they're going to expect one thing and then get thrown off and you're going to alienate your target market. That's not how you build a thoughtful, considered business. It's not. Mm-hmm. Should we talk a bit about what comes out of a freebie offering, sort of like what that sequence looks like? Uh, why not? So when I've worked with students, what I've often seen is uh, confusion about, I guess this goes back a step, but will lead into what comes out of a freebie offering. But I've seen confusion about, well, like what shape and form should my freebie offering take? Should it be, you know, download my ebook here? Should it be, here's my free video course? Should it be, here's my free email course? And really it could take whatever form you dear listener want as you create some sort of lead magnet or some sort of thing to get somebody across the threshold. Uh, again, it should be short, it should be small, it should solve a problem, but it should take whatever form your most natural create or you could most naturally create in and your audience most wants to consume. You might study your audience and realize, oh, these people love video. Well, you should consider creating videos then. But if you suck at videos, don't feel obligated to create video. Feel obligated to create in whatever form you could most easily create it. If you could write 500 words in 20 seconds or 20 minutes, do that. Don't spend eight hours struggling with how do I record the video and how I have to edit it and the sound isn't good and oh God, this is terrible. Create the thing that's easiest for you. That will make it easiest to ship and easiest to start getting feedback We on. did a whole episode about making yourself more efficient in the content that you create. And the goal, like kind of the end game with that was a publishing empire of sorts, right? And And you're doing whatever you can to use your skills well, right? So... You're basically publishing, right? Creating video is publishing. Screencasts are publishing. Creating a podcast is publishing. Writing is publishing. Writing with a ton of images is publishing. Um, Annotating a PowerPoint presentation and putting it on the internet on SlideShare is publishing. And some people do that extremely well. I'm thinking of like Samuel Hulick from User Onboard. Um, 
none of those are bad, you know? It is better to make the clackety noise and do the thing than it is to not do the thing. And you you can let yourself be riven by shame that you're not doing X or Y publishing medium. Like, how many video things have you seen me on, right? I can count it... I can count it on two hands and I'd have fingers left and they're all pretty well buried on the internet. I'm not exactly like a video guy, but I sound good. I sound good enough that you, dear listener, are listening to this podcast and you haven't turned it off yet. So, you know, that's a benefit, right? Um, I mean, in the freebie offering as in life, play to your strengths. Now, towards that end, I think it's more important to consider where the freebie offering fits into your strategy, right? So what I typically recommend is the freebie offering ladders up to a relatively affordable, I will not use the term cheap, offering that you're going to do that's the bigger ebook, the 150-page out thing. If you're a designer, like an icon library or a you know, series of guidelines that walk somebody through a process that you've built or something like that. Anything that you can do that is basically the thing that you're known for. So for me as a designer, it's a book I wrote about interaction design called Cadence and Slang. That's pretty sensible. Um, Something that fits better with my positioning these days is a monthly uh, paid newsletter called uh, Revise Weekly, where I provide lessons about A-B testing every Monday. Um, And uh, the end point of that, you may be creating a freebie offering, a five-part course, like a simple drip campaign, I mean, that's a good place to start. I would tool that and uh, rethink it in your business as needed. And then the end point of that drip campaign is the upsell that you have. And then slot them into your regular mailing list where you provide them your usual content that everybody else is getting. Um, and that educates them, provides numerous acts of generosity. That drip campaign should be highly actionable and valuable for somebody. And um, some of your best work, to be entirely honest, uh, and some of your most general work that's very statement of purposey. But also it should lead into a sale. You should be closing a sale. And that sale should be low involvement. It should not be so low that you're undercharging yourself. My target dollar amount for this is somewhere between about $30 and $50. I typically create something that's about that much. $10 thing, nobody's going to care. They're also going to undervalue you and your abilities. So charge more for what you're doing. Always charge more for what you're doing. And um, then once you're in, um, you have effectively a product ladder. So what I typically I would like to do in my business, and this is very much a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do scenario, I would love to have a book or a course or something like that, that after you've bought Revise Weekly or my book or something like that, uh, or any of my books, really, then you are put into another drip campaign that provides more advanced content and ladders you up to something between $150 and $300. Um, That's probably another educational product. I don't have that together yet. I'm working on it. But it's... Something that also provides like a more advanced thing. It's more passive income. We talked a lot about passive income on a previous episode. And that provides a significant amount of value to the the customer, right? And also it positions you as more of a premium offering, right? So along the way, you should always be trying to position yourself as if you are a prize to be had. Not just because people will pay you more money but because they're more likely to actually read the thing, 
right? I can't tell you how many people I know have bought Cadence and Slang and been like, oh, I haven't read it. It's been five years. Like, you're never going to read it. You bought it because it looks fancy on your bookshelf. And I get it. That makes perfect sense. But I would rather you read my book. I do not make my book and put all of the effort into making the book just so it can be a fetish object on your, your bookshelf. Like, that's not cool. You should read the book. Um, and you should take the book seriously and apply its lessons. I can count on probably two hands, and I would have fingers left, the number of people I know who have confirmedly told me, I read Cadence and Slang, and it changed the way that I design. I've sold 3,000 copies of this book. Don't let that happen to you. You want impact. You hopefully are listening to this, wanting to change the world. And you don't change the world by selling $9 eBooks. You don't. You don't even really build you a make, business. You make $900 by selling $9. Yeah, you make bucks. $900. Uh, okay, great. You have covered your rent for a month. Um, <laughs> can, <laughs> Do it again. Congratulations. Are you going to write a like 300-page or 150-page ebook every month? I fucking hope not. I've, if you take anything from this, it's that you should be... Uh, Kai and I are very, very lazy people. We really don't want to be doing that. We want to be, I'm going to a tiki bar tonight. I'm not write, writing a book, you know? Like, I, I have created space in my life to do the things that I want. And if you have taken anything, it's that you too can be really lazy by busting your ass and writing an ebook and marketing it and not charging $9 for it. So we talked a lot about product ladders in an earlier episode as well. This kind of fits into the ecosystem of a lot of the things that we're talking about. And um, the freebie offering is the first thing that you do, but it's also the most important, right? So you can't mess it up. And in order to not mess it up, you have to make it highly general to your positioning. Like, this is why I come into work every day. What is the thing I think is insane about my profession? That, Right. Um, and then uh, highly actionable to the, and, and highly understanding of the person's context. If you don't understand the person's context, talk to them. Get people on the phone. Take them out for coffee. Do basic user research. It's yeah, even the, if you're a developer, the most, you know. Sorry. The most valuable action you could take is directly talking to the type of person you want to download a freebie offering or to enter your product ecosystem or to enter your consulting funnel and just asking open-ended questions. What questions do you have about the industry? What do you struggle with? What do you, what do you wonder about? What questions can I answer for you? And you do that five or 10 times and you're going to have a dozen different ideas in your head because these are people who are your ideal customers saying like, we have no clue where to start with outreach. What do we do? Or we don't quite understand how outreach works for our business. Why should we consider it? Or how do I know if I'm the right client or not? Each one of those could be a two to a three page document that provides immediate value for a person who lands on your website and is saying, huh, I have this question. And suddenly you're like, do you have this question? 
I have an answer here, enter your email address and you'll get the answer. And people will naturally gravitate towards that. And you could test different ones over time. Uh, what I've loved is as I've changed and evolved and grown my business and tested different freebie offerings, I've ended up with a bit of a library. My assistant and I were just going through it and we realized we have something like eight to 10, you know, two to five page PDF things that I've put together. And we're like, huh, how do we bundle these together as a collection? So now instead of like, get the content promotion checklist, it's like, get the content promotion library with these six different small things in it that will help you build a better business and promote your stuff. And you're able to stack up, stack these up and they don't, they don't lose value over time. Instead, you might find new ways, as we referenced on another episode, to reuse them and integrate them with other offerings. You could bundle it in as a bonus or as a worksheet in a future uh, larger product you release. But it comes down to understanding that pain that your ideal customer has and presenting a small fix. It doesn't have to solve the entire thing for them. Uh, uh, a, a oh, what's the word? Dun-dun-dun. Uh, that starts with a C and means limitation. A, uh, a constraint. Ah, thank you. A constraint I put on my students is, think about it this way. You want your freebie offering to save the person who downloads it 10 minutes of research. That's it. This isn't going to change their life. This isn't going to save their marriage. This is going to save them 10, maybe 20 minutes of research that they do on their own. And so when we think about it that way, it's not everything you need to know about A-B testing ever or everything you need to know about outreach. It's here's, you know, the three questions you should ask yourself before starting an A-B testing campaign. Or here are the tools I recommend for the different life cycle parts of an A-B testing campaign or an outreach campaign. And somebody downloads that and they're like, whoa, for my email address, I saved 20 minutes. I'm going to stick around. And then you just continue delivering more small bits of value. And eventually you're like, hey, did you enjoy that free stuff? And they're like, yeah, I loved it. And you're like, well, I have a book. It's $49. It'll teach you even more. And some people will go, awesome. I have built up enough trust with you that I want to buy your thing. So people will say, cool, that's not what, right for me right now. And that's fine. You continue continue laying on the value and building that relationship. And a couple weeks or a couple months later, you're like, hey, I got another paid thing. Some people will buy, some won't. What matters is you're delivering content and delivering value to build that relationship. So um, Kai, I, I'm very excited to report that uh, we've come to an important moment in Make Money Online history. It is the first time that I'm going to make a tortured home repair analogy as a homeowner on this podcast. Um, there will be more eventually. Um, you are basically, let's imagine you're a homeowner and you need a screwdriver. You go to the hardware store, you buy a screwdriver. I can't think of a screwdriver in history that has changed the world, but the screwdriver helps, right? And it's simple. It's like 10 bucks to get a screwdriver, like a nice one, right? You are handing the customer a screwdriver during a time when they need a screwdriver. You are responding to their needs with something that is briefly useful. I am not using a screwdriver right now. I am talking on this podcast. I use a screwdriver maybe cumulatively. There's probably a like contiguous hour and a half period in my life where I am using a given screwdriver, right? Like that much of screwdriving. It's not something that I, I think of all the time, but it's just like, that dude helped me. You know, that's that's good. That hardware store helped me. And then all of a sudden, build up a reputation. The hardware store gave me a useful screwdriver at a time when I needed it. They were open when I needed it. Okay, now I'm going to go back and buy the set of screwdrivers. Now I'm going to go back and buy a tool shed for the screwdrivers. And then all of a sudden, I'm at Home Depot reenacting the first 15 minutes of Nick D buys a house, 
buying like filling my entire van with hundreds of dollars of random garbage that I only barely need. I would like that for your business, right? You start by buying the small, low involvement things. I remember the one of the first times I went to Home Depot, I bought um, like laundry detergent and batteries. And it was like right when I was in college. And that was it. And I never thought about more beyond that. It was like maybe like a $25 purchase. Like it was not very much. The amount of money I blew at Home Depot last week is greater than the GDP of some nations, probably. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I remembered that. That happened 14 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. On the long mm-hmm. time scale, you're thinking about the relationship that you establish with, with someplace. And it's not like Home Depot is a tiny mom and pop store. But I can think about it in the same way with the mom and pop store, right? I've gone... <laughs> How many times have I gone to Bari, which is this tiny family-run Italian joint uh, in, like, old Little Italy around River West in, in the city? And I started going there for sandwiches that were $4 and then eventually started buying parm and colavita and other extremely important staples in my house. And I trusted them more, right? It's about trust. Think about all the times that you, dear listener, have gone out and bought like durable goods from someplace and you spend $5 and then you find yourself spending $50 and then you find yourself blowing an entire paycheck there, you know? Um, The same thing happens in luxury goods. You go to Barney's, you buy the like $2 belt and then you buy the like $50 t-shirt and then you end up, you know, eventually you work up the money and you're buying your dress there or you're buying a suit there or whatever have you, you know, like that, that dynamic happens in any industry. It is not novel and you can be part of that, right? Like you, you can create that sort of thing in your software business as an educator and I hate to use the word as a thought leader, right? I think another great example is, and I'm, I'm completely re- misremembering the name of the cocktail bar, but the, uh, was it the Violet Hour? The guy Toby Maloney and the Violet posted. Hour. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell the forum story. Oh my story. God. I'm going to post this in the show notes. It is one of my absolute favorite things that I've seen in a, like any small business. So the Violet Hour are a, um, very, very like world famous cocktail bar in Wicker Park in Chicago. Um, and they're fantastic. I've never had a bad night there. Um, it's hard to get a table sometimes. Uh, and their cocktails are a little pricey as they should be for a world famous cocktail bar. They were like one of the first ever cocktail bars in the city. And uh, they're still going. They're fantastic. I love them to death. Toby Maloney is the owner of the Violet Hour. And uh, somebody posted to um, LTH Forum, which is a like PHP BB forum for foodies in the city. And uh, one of my absolute favorite sites to get recommendations and how I'm able to say like, this is the best X in the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody goes on there and says, Hey, I tried out making uh, I think it was an iron cross or Julietta Romeo. One of the cocktails from violet hour it was classic. One of their like big famous ones. Um, how do y'all think I did? And he was asking like the other patrons of the, the forum and the next reply is from Toby Maloney, and it's his first post on the site. He registered an account and immediately replied back. He was like, 
this was really good. You did a great job with this. You missed only these things. Here's the entire recipe that you need. Um, I really appreciate this one modification. I'm going to go and try it at home tonight and see how it works. Next post. I tried it. It's really good. Do you mind if we integrate it into the bar? And he's like, no, go right ahead. It's like, by the way, while I'm here, does anybody have any requests for Violet Hour recipes? It's not the same as actually going there and having somebody make it for you and clean the glassware after you're done and bust everything, but you know, you can do this at home. And we'll do everything for you that's not a bitters recipe, because if you know, like classic cocktail bars, bitters recipes are often dozens, if not hundreds of botanicals and extremely complicated and difficult to make and very guarded secrets. But I'll give you everything except for the bitters. And of course, like, you know, like flood of comments in, make me this, this, this. He starts listing all the recipes from the Violet Hour. And, but the, the two conditions, he said, I'll give you the recipe. You have to try it at home. You have to photograph it, tell me how it went, and what you would change in it. And this is open source software basically applied to cocktails. It was incredible. And it went on for like 40 pages on this dumb PHPBB site. It was incredible. I This happened maybe seven or eight years ago. I still refer to it. It has made me a better bartender at home. It has made me more thoughtful about um, mixing cocktails in general. And it came in, in the form of this, right? So Toby, I think why you asked me to talk about this all of that is the freebie offering. We've talked in the past about the Alinea cookbook and how that served as the way to get me in the door to Alinea, right? It proves he is a kind and generous person, above all, um, and really interested in geeking out about ice content and other stuff like that, right? Um, to a bunch of other geeks, because LTH Forum is all nerds, all nerds. Um, but it also shows that the recipe isn't the thing, it's the execution of the recipe. And the experience that you were creating. Yeah, because you can make it at home, but it, I tell you, man, it ain't the Violet Hour, which is a gorgeous space. It is incredible, right? And Kai, you and I have been to fancy cocktail bars before. It's not unlike the one we went to together in Philadelphia. It's not like uh, unlike the one that uh, we went to a couple of years ago. Like, like I've taken you to some amazing spaces, and we sat there, asked for the thing, and got the thing. And we got to sit in a neutral territory, which is ambiance. And, like, there's value to both of those things. Um, so uh, the point being about all of this, do not be afraid to be generous. Do not be afraid to give away the keys to the Corolla because you know how to drive it. They yep. don't. Yeah. The, the, and and part, another part of the reason I asked you to tell that story is I think it's a great illustration of responding directly to a small question that your audience is asking and providing a small solution. So people were saying like, I, I, how do you make this one? I tried it this way. Is this right? And the subject matter expert comes in and is like, let me tell you how to make it. And of course, like, just like working with a consultant, I could describe my entire process for outreach for you. Doing it yourself probably won't be as good as me doing it for you, but it will get you somewhere along the way. And 
uh, uh, Toby describing like, hey, here's how you make this this cocktail. Well, it'll get you somewhere, but it won't get you all the way there, but it provides a lot of value. I always look at high-end bar restaurants and high-end rest and just sort of high-end restaurants and high-end food-related things in general and say, why don't they have something like that on the site? Why don't they say like, do you enjoy, you know, our, you know, our cocktails? Hey, enter your email here and we'll send you one cocktail recipe every week. And, you know, in email number one, it just says, hey, we're going to send you one every week for the next month. The only obligation is you test it and you reply to this email with a photo. It would create such amazing interaction with people. You'd build up an email list of people who love cocktails and who who love coming to your cocktail bar. And it sows the seeds of a community. And I think we could directly apply these principles to a consulting practice and say, what are the questions people have about how you perform as a consultant? Well, answer them. Provide value. Provide an outline. Provide, like, your working SOP. Yeah. Ask them to try it. Ask them to reply back and say like, oh, I have a question about this. Or, hey, wouldn't it be better if instead in step three you did this thing? And it provides a lot of value and it provides a lot of engagement and it moves people into your product funnel. I'm going to end with a quote from Toby on this post. Bars like the Violet Hour are constantly evolving entities. They change with the seasons, putting out four menus a year. The drinks have also become more sophisticated over time. The new summer menu has incorporated many more esoteric ingredients than the first summer menu. We are going through more eggs, more amari, and bitters than we did a year ago. So there is growth of both the bar and the patrons, usually at the same rate. This is how we are engaged with the customer over the long haul.